Welcome to a Commercial Observer Power Series podcast, where we dive into the world of debt, equity, and commercial real estate. I'm Kathy Cunningham, the finance editor of Commercial Observer. Today, we have a special episode for you. Max Gross, our editor-in-chief, and I discuss our thinking in the middle of our preparation for the Power Finance and Power 100 lists. These lists are Commercial Observer's signature rankings that highlight the most influential individuals in the commercial real estate industry. Now, before we jump into the discussion, I encourage you all to check out the Power 100 and Power Finance list on our website. Please note that this conversation was recorded prior to the release of both lists. Hi, I'm Max Gross, Editor-in-Chief of Commercial Observer. And I'm Kathy Cunningham, Finance Editor of Commercial Observer. And we are coming to you in the middle of working on both the Power Finance and the Power 100 list. This is two of our like you know signature lists at Commercial Observer. Um, every year we try to rank the most powerful people in the world of debt and equity. It's our Power Finance list and the 100 most powerful people in all of commercial real estate. And um, every year it is a heavy lift, but you know we're we're both of us like you know in the thick of it at the moment. So Kathy, thirty thousand feet, give us our your overview of power finance in twenty twenty three. Well, it's definitely an especially heavy lift this year. I would say um, it's been a really different year for a lot of our honorees. A very volatile year in the finance market from both the debt and equity perspective. So definitely got our work cut out for us this year. Uh, one thing I think we've definitely lost a couple of our honorees from previous years. Uh, signature back no longer on our list. Why? Why were they not on the list? There was a little blip there. What? <laughs> you told me. I was in Tahiti in March, but no, I'm kidding. Yes, for obvious reasons. RIP Signature, RIP Credit Suisse also, uh, who's now been absorbed by UBS. So yeah, a lot of our you know key players in the past are no longer on the list this year as a function of the markets and what we've seen the past uh, month or so. Uh, high level, we're really paying attention to the firms who continue to lend despite the volatility, despite all the constraints on the market and all the difficulties and challenges they had to surmount in order to keep you know their businesses going, um, transaction activity as high as they could possibly make it, kept serving their clients. Uh, so we're really paying attention to that certainty of execution they provided for their clients and the ability to lend through this crisis or correction, whatever you want to call it, based on how they position their platform coming into it. Mm-hmm. Now, would you say that like, you know, some of the, uh, the banks that like absorbed like Signature and Credit Suisse, like New York Community Bank and, and, and UBS, did they move up this year? They did move up. They did move up, definitely. I think it says a lot for the banks that are, are able to absorb the other banks. Uh, also, you know, JP Morgan played a big role in terms of this banking crisis and uh, formulating solutions uh, for this crisis. So I think, you know, banks like that were also paying attention to in terms of their role in really salvaging the, the credit markets and keeping things going. Is that one of the reasons that JP Morgan's has such a high, high, high ranking on this year's list or... No spoilers, Max, but yes, that is one of them. But, you know, more broadly speaking, I think JP Morgan is consistently a very impressive firm. They're very well diversified in terms of their offering, big focus on affordable housing. They have their balance sheet. They have CMBS. They have a lot to offer the market. And year over year, we've just been consistently impressed by JP Morgan. Mm-hmm. So obviously, um, JP Morgan is number one. A lot of it having to do with uh, the reasons, you know, having to do with uh, the credit crisis and, 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 and whatnot. Tell me about some of the other people who are on. So obviously this year, 
there's been a focus on alternative lenders. So why don't you speak a little bit about that? So the non-bank lenders are really interesting. They have a really interesting role to play, I think, at the moment. We've seen a lot of the banks retrench at various points in the market. Uh, both the big money center banks and now also the regional banks are under a lot of duress. Non-banks have a really interesting role to play today, and it's a really great time of opportunity for them also to step into some of the deals that traditionally would have gone the banking route. Uh, Non-banks are very differently capitalized compared with some of their competitors on the banking side. And as a result of that, they're more, they're better positioned in terms of going out and lending today and without the shackles or the handcuffs, whatever you want to call it, of the uh, regulatory agencies. So, um, and I think, you know, they're also very nimble. A lot of these guys have been around since post GFC. Uh, They know, they understand cycles. They understand when the market gets tough, you know, what to do, what, what to look for in terms of opportunity, some of their sweet spots they can pursue. So I think they're in a really great position from an opportunity standpoint in terms of lending today. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing is, you know, they're obviously, their capital sources are very, very different from the banks uh, in terms of asset liability. Mismatch has been written a lot, um, written about a lot in the press in terms of banks. Um, the non-banks have, a lot of them have long dated insurance money. They have very different capital that, is, that they now are able to put out into the world and do deals. And so for that reason also, I think a lot of the non-banks on our list went up this year. Mm-hmm. Who were some of the newbies that went on the list for the first time? Uh, one newbie is MSD Partners, Michael Dell's uh, uh-huh. lending arm, basically. We've seen MSD be really active across the board in terms of lending, uh, consistently kind of you know impressive in terms of their, their deals that they're closing just now. We've also seen them consistently lend through all the volatility of the past year. So they're, they're one uh, newbie there. Mm-hmm. Tell me anything else you want to tell me about Power Finance this year. I'll just say it's like probably one of the hardest years in terms of ranking, I think, all the firms on our list really deserve to be there. They all played a really important role, but there's been nothing consistent by the past year. There's been so much volatility from the rising rate environment, from the war in Ukraine, so many different factors that have really impacted lending in our market. Uh, and I think it's been especially difficult just because, as always, we're not comparing apples to apples here. All the honorees are from very different, um, you know, subsects of subsections of our of our industry in terms of, you know, brokers, debt funds, um, banks, insurance companies. Like really a mix there. So it's always hard to rank, but I think this year is especially hard because nobody's really had a consistent lending strategy, or very few have, because they've had to meet the market and really kind of pivot and change their strategy depending on what the market threw at them, which has been a lot this past year. And Max, what about you? I'm in the hot seat here. What about you about Power 100s? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, it's funny. So I don't know how many newbies you said. But you ha- you mentioned MSD. I don't know who else you said. We have a few. We don't have to- we don't have a ton of newbies this year. Uh-huh. I think it's you know it's, we're kind of people are sticking to, sticking to their knitting and still doing well on our list. So we we had a lot of newbies actually this year. I think it was more than thirty. I, I have to I have to actually look at the number um, exactly. But it was it was a high number. And you know I mean look every year we try to refine what you know how we look at real estate and like you know how we're how we're how we're doing this. And you know one of the things that we keep thinking is like you know we really should look at it in a national scope. You know, New Yorkers pretend we're very worldly. We're very provincial. And it's very important to just like, you know, take a step back and take on the whole landscape. And one of the reasons why, you know, New York specifically, I think, uh, took a little bit of a step back this year is because New York real estate is not in the same place as a lot of other places. We have a really volatile office market. And for so long, it was so, you know, the center of of New York's real estate, you know, lifeblood was the office, the skyscraper. And a lot of these buildings are in a lot of trouble. And 
We've been talking about it, obviously, since COVID-19, but there hasn't been a clear strategy for how to, like, extricate itself from this problem. You know, there there are some solutions out there. And yet, you know, every time we talk about like rezoning or, you know, 421A or some kind of tax incentive that could really move affordable housing forward or and maybe change some of these, you know, overbuilt buildings, um, there's like a roadblock. It's a political roadblock. It's an economic roadblock. That was a big part of our of our thinking. You know, we really did want to say, okay, industrial is still doing strong. We really have to look at more of those players and like bring more of those players onto the list. We really have to think about the big multifamily owners that are out there, the big SFR owners who have collections of properties that are tens of thousands, you know, big. And, you know, New York, we we tend to think, oh, this person owns this big office building. That's so exciting and impressive. But 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 houses in the Sun Belt or the Midwest is actually very important too. And Max, when it comes to ranking, how are you looking at ranking? You know, obviously, uh, office owner in New York City is very different from, say, you know, uh, a national industrial owner. There's a little bit of art to it rather than um, straight up data. But I mean, look, you know, we've been really trying to collect all the data and um, trying to assign a value to it and trying to look also at negative data as well and what that does to, you know, to, to people's ranking. We definitely think that some of the categories that, you know, used to not fall by the wayside, but were not as important, are more important this year, like multifamily. But a lot of other categories are important too. The only category that I think is really bad is office. There are a lot of others that, you know, have problems, but office in New York is the one that I'm a little concerned about. And I think a lot of landers on my list don't want to be having office in New York on their, in their home portfolios. Yeah. What happens is, is, is a big mystery, but, um, I think that uh, the person who figures that out might be headed for, you know, one of the top 10 spots in 2024. And on the Jay-Z point, I would say, you know, 99 problems and a list ain't one. So there you go. He doesn't care where he's ranked. <laughs> 99 problems, he's not, but he's on the list. So. <laughs> and then you know, sometimes you, I know you talked about the origination standpoint from the from my list. And what's kind of interesting about this year is that, yes, we're definitely looking at numbers because I think, obviously, a lender's capacity to lend and their their footprint is a big deal. But I think also, I know that we understand that lenders have to be really prudent this year in terms of where they're putting capital. And obviously, they, they have to be very careful in protecting their own their own book. Um, so I think while origination is a big part of power finance this year, it's not the only thing we're looking at. And we really are looking at how these companies added value to the market and the role they played in terms of, you know, keeping things just ticking over, serving their clients as much as they possibly could and finding smart places to, to put their dollars. It's a very different year from the year before where I think it was really kind of a, a heyday for a lot of lenders in terms of getting out there, just putting a ton of capital out. But um, the rate environment's changed so much. So I think now we're also really trying to acknowledge that it was a difficult year for a lot of people. And the highest originations don't necessarily mean they're the best lenders sometimes. So that's another kind of angle we're looking at. Well, people have to read the list one by one to understand everybody's ranking on both exactly. lists. And then, Max, how are you looking at brokers this year? Several people said to me the words, everybody had a really bad year, but my year is great. There, there were, I think, uh, fewer brokers than there normally are, um, simply because you know we generally have had a lot of office brokers, you know, traditionally, and uh, investment sales brokers. They're still there. They're still important. In fact, you know, you could make the argument that they're more important. Like, you know, when you don't know anything, having a seasoned voice who's been through a number of markets is, is a really important figure. 
We're placing more importance, I would say, on brokers this year, or advisory firms, a lot of them prefer to be called, uh, just because they really had their work cut out for them in terms of sourcing debt and equity for, for deals to cross the finish line. I think it's been a very hard task for a lot of them, but a lot of them are you know, just, just killing it in terms of getting deals closed. And I think they're really showing their value to their clients just now in terms of finding the right capital for, for their deals, whether it's um, very few acquisitions right now, obviously, but a lot of refinances, recapitalizations. And I think you can't really undermine the, the value of a good broker today. On, on that note, I would say to everybody, read Power Finance one by one. Every single one of those entries is fascinating. Every single person on that list deserves to be there. They earned their spot. 100%. I would say the same thing for Power 100. For Commercial Observer, I'm Max Gross. I'm Kathy Cunningham. Speak to you next time. Thank you for tuning in to our discussion on the Power Finance list. We hope you found it insightful and informative. As we mentioned earlier, this year has been particularly challenging and volatile in the financing market making the ranking process quite demanding. However, we believe that every individual and company on the list has truly earned their spots. If you want to stay up to date with our analysis and insights, be sure to subscribe to our finance newsletter, where we share weekly updates on the industry. It's a great way to stay informed and gain valuable knowledge from our expertise. Also, we encourage you to revisit the Power List, including Power Finance and Power 100, which showcase the most influential people in the world of debt and equity, as well as commercial real estate. Each entry provides fascinating details about the individuals and companies shaping the industry. Once again, thank you for joining us and we look forward to bringing you more engaging discussions in the future. Until next time.